Blog Talk Radio. Uh, and a celebration of a screenplay 
uh, a release of a documentary of sorts of 110 Morningside. Uh, and basically, 110 Morningside is uh, Dunes, uh, the address of his home in Harlem, near um, Columbia University, as a matter of fact. And uh, he's been holding sessions at his home uh, for the last 30 years, every Sunday afternoon, uh, inviting uh, poets and people of the spoken word, musicians and actors, and just people throughout the African diaspora and indeed uh, in the Harlem Village to share uh, their collective spiritual and creative energy and to be able to have a platform in which they could critique one another and uh, receive the wisdom and and motivation and inspiration from Brother Dune as they would uh, share the healing energy throughout our African uh, diasporic community. So that was quite an experience. And uh, Dr. Uh, Leonard Jeffries, uh, was, uh, he dropped by unexpectedly and, and uh, shared it at the, uh, with the uh, exchange of thoughts and, and uh, sentiments about his experience of, as of late, and it was just really like a family affair. And, of course, I, I would be neglectful if I did not mention Sister Nicole Lavon, who, uh, who is the producer and the director of the, uh, of the documentary. Uh, she uh, really did a great job, and uh, I encourage those of you to go to my website uh, to access, or you can Google 110 Morningside Drive and, and Nicole's name. Her name is spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-L-E-L-A space V-A-N-N, Nicole Avon. And uh, I think you'd be very much pleased with uh, the purchase of her DVD that she produced of Brother Abia Doon, uh, his uh, experience with uh, 110 Morningside Drive for the last 30 years. So without further ado, I must uh, continue from where we left off last week with our last show, which uh, dealt with uh, uh, our dear brother, uh, who's since passed, uh, Bhakti Thorter Swami, uh, born uh, February 25, 1950, and went in transition June 27, 2005. Uh, Swami Krishnapat is his other name, no name, he was a spiritual teacher, author, a Princeton graduate, and as an African-American seeker who rose from the, the impoverished condition of a Cleveland ghetto to become a global spiritual leader, Bhakti Starter Swami Krishnapad, he met with prominent world figures such as Muhammad Ali, Nelson Mandela, and Zambia's president Kenneth Kunga, and he wrote about 17 books on religious topics and led community development projects in the United States and other countries. He was the founder and director of the Institute of Applied Spiritual Technology in Washington, D.C., uh, which is a non-profit, non-denominational organization whose membership represents a variety of spiritual paths and professional backgrounds. He traveled the world constantly and served as a spiritual consultant he also served as chairman of the Third World Coalition, and on February 7, 2006, he uh, was found co-founder of the Council of 
the District of Columbia, and highly recognized for his works. I, uh, again, uh, reiterate the fact that we, last uh, last week, and the last couple of weeks, actually, we've been reading excerpts from his book, Spiritual Warrior Two: Transforming Lust into Love. Um, very, very revealing uh, insights Swami was able to share with us in this particular book. And by the way, as I mentioned, this is Spiritual Warrior Two. His first book is simply titled Spiritual Warrior, Uncovering Spiritual Truths in Psychic Phenomena. And that also is available through my website at drumsofchange.com. So, uh, this particular evening, we're going to start by uh, talking about jealousy and envy. And before I go on, though, I must uh, say hello to my wife. Hi, hon. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I mean, I'm trying to get into the chat room. I seem to be having difficulties. Oh, I'm okay. Sure why. Yeah, so yeah. I'll just try it again. Okay, so. yeah. That's something that, you know, happens every now and then. And I want to uh, uh, thank all of you who are visiting us through the chat room and who are on the air uh, tuning in. It's a pleasure. And, of course, if any of you who are tuning in via phone, if you wish to share some thoughts with us, simply push the number one button and you will be able to, uh, I will be able to uh, activate uh, the switch on my end and connect you with us so that we can share some thoughts and and whatever else you would like to say to us. So again, I thank everyone for visiting, taking the time from your Sunday evening to share your uh, precious moments with us. So, uh, yes, I will continue now uh, with the chapter that's dealing with what is love. And Swami talks about jealousy and envy are not love. And he says, however, even in spiritual circles, People, people often do not understand how to love one another. Despite a seeming commitment to a spiritual lifestyle, individuals may experience envy and jealousy of their peers. And he states, for example, if one person is advancing spiritually, others who are trapped in material consciousness may be unable to feel happiness for that individual, and instead they become jealous and mean-spirited. People who worship fame, Money and material comforts are attached to temporary aspects of life, and ultimately they are destined to be unhappy because everything temporarily deteriorates, and they are condemning themselves to loss and frustration. And this pursuit of selfish pleasures is a general feature of modern Western culture. And in the process of climbing our way to the top, we are conditioned to think, I can only win when you fail. In order to build ourselves up, we are eager to see someone else's demise. We may even sabotage a potential rival, believing that this is the way to become successful. However, we should remember that whenever we feel sad, disturbed, and envious of another's success, we are unqualified for the blessings of spiritual life. And in these circumstances... We must work on ourselves to dissolve our selfish motivations so that eventually we can reach the point of being happy and enthusiastic for the accomplishment of others. We are always enhanced rather than diminished by another person's 
growth. So, yes, indeed, it behooves us to rally around those of us in our circle, especially especially in our spiritual circle, who are making progress. We should encourage them. We should assist them in whatever way we can because what it does, there's a certain amount of spiritual reciprocity that occurs, unbeknownst to our souls most of the time. And so, and also, uh, as I like to state in the, in the running world, whatever you put into the body is like uh, the body keeps score. It's like you're making a deposit. Well, yes, indeed, so applies to the metaphysical world, to the spiritual world. Whatever goodwill you put into someone's uh, journey, whatever prayers you send towards them, whatever encouragement, that's like making a deposit within your particular uh, spiritual bank, as it were, so that indeed uh, the payback can come. And you don't do this with the intention that, oh, yes, because that's insincere and not genuine when you wish someone well, just so that you can be making deposits in your spiritual uh, uh bank, as it were, but you do this uh, knowing that, that indeed, everyone involved will benefit sooner or later, and a lot of times it's sooner than later. So uh, this is something that I was really excited about reading and sharing thoughts about this, because it seems to be something that's prevalent throughout uh, various communities, especially within the spiritual communities, where people succumb to being envious and jealous. Uh, we, stay, we hear people backbiting and say, oh, this church, that mosque, that temple, that shrine is not as good as mine, or they do this and that there, and we don't do that where we're at. You know, we're pointing the finger and, and, and also assuming a position of being holier than thou without recognizing that, yes, the reason why we're on this earth plane is because we all have fell to some degree in our previous incarnations. And we come back here again and again until we learn the lessons that have to be learned on this earth plane. And then we come back and no more. And we go into other extraterrestrial and uh, other, other planetary planes of spirituality. Because this soul is the essence of who we are. We're not our bodies. And this entity that we call matter and material, this earth form, all these things are merely, uh, it's not illusions, they're just uh, in a state that makes it possible for us to uh, maneuver within this particular sphere of consciousness. But this is not the end of all. You know, is there anything, this is just the beginning. You know, it's just like a baby opening up his eyes for the first time. It's in awe. And, of course, it recognizes its parents, its surroundings, the home that it lives in, its siblings, and all the other people that are around. Even sometimes people have dogs and pets and so forth. The baby becomes familiar. And at the year, age of two, when its ego, so-called ego, starts developing, it says, oh, now I'm aware. And now I can get to be into a certain level of control starts telling the mother, no, I won't do this and I won't do that. They call it the terrible twos. But let's just multiply that, uh, the terrible twos, by by 30. You know, that would make one 62 years of age. Oh, we still have those of us who say to the most high, oh, I don't need your assistance. I know reality. I have, I got this. 
<laughs> I got this under control until one gets sick, until one becomes sick and, and diseased, as it were. Who do you call on? Ah, yes, you call on the Most High. Just like the two-year-old, when it gets sick, it needs uh, to have a diaper changed, it needs to be fed. But it's a call. It cries out to Mama. It cries out to Daddy, to the ones who gave birth to it. So, yes, as you become old, older and more mature and more a little bit more intelligent, you recognize that it's not us who is in control, that the control is by the Almighty. The Almighty, the, 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 the spiritual entities, the deities, the guardians, the angels, the demigods, all of those entities are the powers and the energies, the manifestation and beings, maybe not physical beings, but who assist us in our journey and who we have to give homage to, and we have to bear witness and recognize them for the, the importance that they are in our lives, if we expect to grow spiritually. So, uh, I, I, I continue by uh, sharing what uh, Swami Kapendra, uh, Krishna Napad, rather, is sharing with us in his book. And he says that, we always uh, should enhance rather than diminish another person's growth. And he states that love is stronger than doubt. Love, love must transcend. Love must transcend any doubts we may have about the value of spiritual life. Persistent doubts are always detrimental to spiritual advancement, which is, has a capacity to make us vulnerable to materialistic illusions and weakening our alignment with spiritual guidance and protection, which I just stated. I didn't know that I was going to read this. This does not mean that we should be blind followers who accept spiritual teachings without questions. Doubts naturally arise as we progress along the spiritual path. But to avoid the dangers inherent in prolonged, lingering doubts, we should address each question immediately as it arises. Our sincere inquiries can put doubts to rest without leaving an opening for negative influences to lead us astray. Spiritual life requires great intensity, strong faith, and firm conviction. Unresolved doubts make the body and the mind revert to old, familiar patterns, behaving just like drug addicts who return to the familiar solace of drugs whenever life becomes difficult. If our faith and strength have vanished, we naturally resort to our previous coping mechanisms to find some comfort. Hmm, that's interesting. My wife and I earlier this evening were talking about certain addictions and how uh, people around us, including family members, can be of such influence and those called so-called uh, close friends. We have to be very, very vigilant of who we bring into our life or allow to remain in our lives in terms of incorporating their coping skills with regard to pressures. And we know that life is about uh, overcoming hurdles, overcoming problems, resolving them. And we know that that's, part, that's a process. I can't remember the person who, it might have been Deepak Chopra, who mentioned the fact that uh, uh, indeed, the, uh, the student of the guru 
asked the guru one evening, Guru, why is it that life is so difficult? And, uh, you know, why are there problems? And he says that that's a good question, my son. But uh, the problem is that the person who is sane knows that life is supposed to present oneself one with problems and hurdles and challenges. Sometimes it can be painful. But the insane person is the one who's wishing that they can get to a place where they have no more problems, where there are no more hurdles to jump, where there are no more issues to overcome, where there's no more pain. And that's what addiction incorporates those of us who develop the addictive uh, personality and the addictive lifestyle. We want to numb ourselves so that we don't feel the pain. We want to intoxicate ourselves so that we don't uh, have the emotional feeling and intellectual feeling of there being a problem. It's almost like being in an awake sleep. But aha, we all must awake unless we are going to go in transition. And once you awake, the problem is still there. The pain still persists. So only through our spiritual growth, through whatever various uh, modality and persuasion you may choose, only via that way can you find the capacity to have the strength and the, the wherewithal to succumb and to traverse this earth's journey that presents us with problems and challenges. You do that most effectively with a spiritual foundation, not just by intellect, not just by empirical reasoning, as it were. Some people might be able to do it, you know, as an individual. They might be an exception to the rule. But as far as, especially those of African descent, especially those who can relate to the spiritual journey going back thousands and thousands of years, those who are most successful, especially in terms of dealing with succeeding incarnations so that you arise and elevate yourself to various levels each incarnation to the point that, yes, problems come and you're able to deal with them immediately and you're able to lead a life so that you traverse the journey so that you have minimal amount of problems. You're able to see at the, at the joint, at the curve, at the onset, no, I need to stay away from that. No, I need not bring that person to my life. Yes, I need to remove that entity from my life so that indeed I avoid certain obvious problems that can be encountered. If I'm around somebody who shows that they're envious and jealous of others and they gossip with me and talk to me about this, then it makes sense that they might share those same sentiments about me and they talk to others about me like they're talking to me about other people. So that's the warning sign. You know, if they have the capacity to do that with you about someone else, they have the capacity to do that with someone else about you. And that uh, that's the making for a very toxic relationship. And we know what toxicity can do to us. Toxicity can make you ill, can make you sick. You know, it can bring an early demise to your physical well-being. So with that said, I'm going to take a short break and we will return to uh, deal with love is stronger 
than doubt. diamonds, 
but are actually in possession only of so much as cut glass. Because they lack the essential spiritual connection in reality, they have nothing. Genuinely spiritual people, on the other hand, are automatically loving because they are conduits of God's own energy. As they radiate divine love, they naturally share it and help others to connect with it. Our longing for eternal love is a sign that we are out of our natural state. This temporary earthy condition does not fulfill us because physical bodies and material interactions always come to an end. We want to be loved eternally because we are imperishable spiritual beings for whom love is an expression of the soul. Ultimately, all major spiritual traditions confirm that we are loving entities who are, who are out of place in the material world. They teach that we have a chance to experience far more love than we normally encounter in our daily lives. As we become more loving and make efforts to serve others, we gradually enter into the realm of divine love. When we offer each genuine love, when we offer such genuine love to others, we receive much more in return. Once we develop a deep spiritual connection, we begin to experience the greater pleasures that we have previously anticipated but did not find in material life. We discover a love that is endless, unlimited by time and circumstances, and completely fulfilling. And he goes on to state that unconditional love is spiritual. Unconditional love, then, is beyond material concerns. It exists in a realm that transcends the mind and the body and is related to the nature of the soul. Its natural expression is free from limitations of the body, such as birth, disease, old age, and death. To experience such love, we must set aside our personal desires for sense gratification and giving up taking action just to elicit a predetermined response. Unconditional love must be that, just that, without conditions, unmotivated and uninterrupted. Such love is beyond any effort to be good, upright, ethical, or moral. Many good people only do the right thing to gain recognition and approval. And in only doing the right thing to gain recognition and approval, in contrast, an action based on unconditional love is one that we perform even if others blame us for it. For example, a mother may know that her child does not want to stop playing to eat dinner, but undeterred by the child's anger, she calls him into the house anyway because she knows that he needs nourishment. The elements that make up the physical world are all part of God's separated are eternal energies and not directly related to the deeper aspects of the divine. Pure, unmotivated love, on the other hand, is transcendental to anything material and can ultimately connect us with the Lord's potent internal energies. In Sanskrit, we speak of our of satchat amanda vargaha, meaning that the soul is eternally absorbed in the ecstasy of love. 
permeated with full knowledge and seat and bliss. Deep love cannot exist without knowledge and appreciation. In the absence of these qualities, love becomes abstract and general. We cannot deeply love someone whom we do not know, even if we have generally nice feelings about that individual. The most we can express is a sense of vague admiration. The more we know about those we love, the more our love can be deep and sustainers. Genuine, genuine love is based on an awareness of particular attributes and qualities. And when we know that we love it well, we gain a profound appreciation of that person and understand how to serve most effectively. On the other hand, if we do not know much about someone, our unfamiliarity can produce difficulties because we lack the proper understanding to develop effective communication and action. And in the same way, we cannot love God without a great appreciation for who the Lord is, what the Lord does, and what the Lord desires from us. Hmm. So that's why many of us are so encouraged to read the books of Scripture, the Bible, the Quran, the Torah, the Bhagavad Gita, uh, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which is known of as what's the other name? Ah, yes, my wife, who's uh, a a clean mother of the teachings of Ma'at. She just told me that the the correct title is the Per. Pert and through, and are the chapters of coming forth by day from night. Ah, yes, yes. These are the books, and the last one that was just uh, shared with us by my wife is such an important book to read, which I have read some parts of it, but it, indeed that needs to be a commitment for those of us, all of these books, scriptures, and also the association of those who have read and who are practicing the teachings that they have learned. By reading and being an association, that brings you closer to being in the association of the Most High and to learning how to, to as I just got finished reading, how to give unconditional love from the higher self, not from the lower self. Many of us think that the lower self is the essence of giving love on the physical plane. And then we give gifts, we give material things to express that love. We give food, we give whatever it is that we can conjure up that is going to be an expression. But no, if you light a candle for someone, which is what myself and my wife and I do, she does that. She's the one who got me into the fold more. I would do it occasionally. If you pray for someone, say a prayer. If you wish them well while you're in their presence, Beyond the hugging, which is good, but say that, yes, I wish you well, and I will pray for you. And then ask them to pray for you as well, to elicit that reciprocity, so that indeed the essence of genuine love can be the foremost in your consciousness as you interact with yourself, most of all, 
with your significant other, your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, your siblings, your friends, relatives, and indeed those who you work with, of course, that has to be traversed very carefully because not everyone is deserving of your time and energy because they're not in that state. You don't want to waste your energy. And that's another discussion we will talk about later on in future shows. But I'm just so happy that I was able to, and I'm still able to, share with you these profound uh, words of wisdom as uh, shared by Swami uh, Krishnapad. Blessings be upon his soul with love. Now, we, we continue where he states, love is unmotivated service. Love is far more than sweet-sounding words. It only becomes real through our behavior. We express our love by what we do. If someone professes love for another but is unwilling to serve that person, the love is not deep. It is theoretical and not genuine. If we do not demonstrate our love by dynamic activity, something is wrong. The deeper the love, the more we will express it by selfless service to the object of our love. And this understanding of love as service is fundamental to all the major world religions. Although these religions differ superficially in many respects, they are, they are united around one central point. True religion means service to God. Whatever we call ourselves, Christian, Jew, Muslim, Buddhist, or Hindu, is not particularly significant, nor are the rituals we perform. Behind all the exterior practices is the fact that each religion, or each religious path, has come into being to provide us with specific ways to love and serve God. And he states, although love transcends seeing, hearing, and feeling all of these elements must be incorporated into selfless service, when our love is unconditional, we do not seek a particular experience for our own benefit, as we would if we engage in self-interest behavior to gratify our senses. Selfish actions do not allow us to develop a deeper connection with God, but are based on I and my wants my desires, my body. They're not generally focused on the other or on rendering service to the beloved. The more we give and share what we have, the more we put the Lord first, inconveniencing ourselves for his service. If we have little, we give a piece of bread or a glass of water. If we only have a banana, then that is what we offer. If we have anything at all to eat, then the other person should be able to eat also. When we love someone, we want to offer care. We are eager to express what we feel inside by doing something for the object of our love. The man who loves his wife and children does not just say so. He spends time with them and cares for their needs. A woman may claim to love her husband and child, but if she does not feed her child or assist her husband, then we are rightfully doubting her sincerity. And sometimes we may say loving 
words despite feelings to the contrary in order to gain approval and to the reassurance that we ourselves are loved. And this behavior does not reflect either love or service. We should not speak untruthfully just to be rewarded. It is our, if our love is genuine, we will freely and wholeheartedly share ourselves with the beloved without wondering what is in it for me. I take a moment to, to reflect on last night as we were sharing our love and our time with my spiritual brother, Abir Doon, lovingly known as Doon amongst our friends and family. He states that, uh, he stated, as the film actually showed in uh, 1101 Inside Drive, people come to his house, some of them who he don't, he don't even know. And there is some degree, I guess, of uh, vetting done amongst, if not him, those in the home, to make sure that everything's all right and they got his back. But he was stating that how people are able to go into his refrigerator, into his kitchen, and serve themselves. He, he fixes salmon croquettes and grits and eggs and biscuits every Sunday afternoon, and everyone who comes to speak the spoken word is able to have a good meal. And he has a little bowl in the middle of the living room floor, and they can drop whatever amount of money they wish to donate to the, to the expense and cost of the food. But the point I'm getting to is that he states that his father taught him when he was a little boy. He says, I will feed my enemy if they come to my home, because no one should be denied food. And that struck home with me. I remember that. He said that with me years ago. He shared that story with me, because me and Dune, we go back uh, some 55 years. I've known Dune since he was 13 years of age, and I'm 68. So, uh, you know, there are certain things that friendship affords you. You may not realize at the moment, as a 13 or at that time, I was an 18-year-old young man, and knowing him back then and that he shared that with me, was like really miraculous. It was a really a moment of wisdom that was shared. But I won't digress. I just wanted to interject that thought. <laughs> it just it stuck home with me. So he states, and I, I see that we have a caller on the on the line, and if you care to share with us, please uh, feel free to push the number one button, and we would welcome any, any comments and thoughts and concerns. If not, you can just feel free to listen on. But I do thank you for joining us. And, uh, well, where was I? Okay, yes. Uh, Swami Kapen, um, Krishnapad, he states that if love had something to do with expecting a particular response, what would happen if we did not get the one we wanted? That is the response we wanted. He states that when we equate love with sense gratification, we risk becoming angry, morose, morose, are disappointed whenever we are not satisfied, yet most of us attach conditions to our love because foremost in our minds is our own comfort. But unconditional love goes far beyond our personal satisfactions, even to the point of exposing us to great inconvenience on behalf of the beloved. Service is natural. We are always serving someone or something. And those who love one another understandably want to express their love through service. And that is why we have the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
and I used to say years ago when uh, I my little dry humor, which uh, you know left a lot to be desired, and I say yes, you do unto others as you have others do unto you, unless though you are a masochist, then that's not the case. But uh, when we see ourselves as servants of the beloved, we seek to please the other as a spontaneous expression of our love. We are indifferent to praise or blame, but unfortunately, although we may try to serve enthusiastically, our motivation is often impure. We want to be recognized and appreciated. We must learn to serve willingly, even in the absence of any reciprocitation or acknowledgement. We should remember that the way we treat others is actually the way we are treating ourselves because everything eventually comes back to us. And he states, why do some people always have to so much help and care? Because they give it, and therefore it returns to them in kind. Why is it that no one trusts those who do not trust others? Because that distrustful energy is coming full circle back to them. We have to be careful of what we do and how we think, because our thoughts and actions set forces in motion to bring the results back to us. We can test ourselves by doing a favor anonymously for someone that we really care about. And generally, when we offer a gift, we send a card identifying ourselves as the giver and implying that we expect some measure of recognition for our generosity. And obviously this is not selfless, unconditional behavior, because it is based on self-glorification. When we can only pass the test of selfless, unmotivated service, when we help someone without seeking praise, happy simply in the knowledge that we have taken the right action, then we are engaging in unconditional love. And then he states, becoming transcendental. When we generally serve another person with unconditional love, we are surrendering to the will of God. We are setting our personal interests aside and doing the necessary no matter what the cost. Because of our love, we do not react even when someone is critical or angry. We just find a more tactful way to accomplish our service. We go on being humble, which means being concerned about others and making even better arrangements for them than we would for ourselves because we love them even more than ourselves. That is genuine, unconditional love. Such steadfast behavior means that we are becoming transcendental instead of remaining merely sentimental. We are sentimental when we are attached to feelings, feeling good, to maintaining peace at all costs, or to tolerating the misdeeds of others in order to avoid their displeasure. This is a form of sense enjoyment that is a hindrance in spiritual life. And as we have seen, real love is not based on wanting to feel good mentally, psychologically, or physically. The focus of such superficial approach is egocentric because we are just using a relationship, even with God, to get what we want. We become transcendental when we rise above the material state of affairs and the platforms of everyday mediocrity, 
we elevate ourselves by keeping our focus clear, persevering in our spiritual practices, and passing our daily tests. We do not allow obstacles such as our own senses or those of other people to stand in the way. Love does not always mean that we maintain contact with another person or that we are gentle and kind. Sometimes we must go away or speak harsh words, but such actions are soft to the heart because the motivation is selfless. If we are capable of real love, we do not stop loving others even if we decide to be abrupt or stop associating with them. Despite appearances, our first priority should always be their highest good. And as spiritual warriors, again, I state, as spiritual warriors, we should always seek to rise the energy level around us. When we practice upgrading our surroundings, we progress quickly because we are radiating divinity and love wherever we go. According to the law of karma, whatever we give to others, we will receive back in kind. And therefore, the more love we give, the more we will experience love. And this brings us to the subject of empowerment. Although we may want to help others, we may may not believe that we have sufficient love to give. In such situations, the Lord dwelling within our hearts can respond to our call empowering us to serve beyond our normal capacities. Indeed, highly spiritual people do not really solely or rely solely upon their own intelligence or their normal undertaking. Their deep, genuine commitment brings unlimited love, knowledge, and realization beyond their own personal limitations. And that is why, when we become receptive to the Lord's help, miracles start happening. Hmm. So, we just read a mouthful. And, uh, do you have anything to share, huh? Other um, good? This, this book is uh, Spiritual Warrior 2 by, I believe the author is B.T. Swami? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, he has a number of names, but uh, okay. that's one of them. Swami uh, uh, Krishnapad. Okay. Um, I... I recommend this book to be on everyone's library shelf because uh, it's one of the few spiritual books that I've read that is no-nonsense, to the point, tells it like it is, gives remedies for the social conditions happening in this world today. Uh, Swami writes with the skill of telling it like it is without necessarily offending anybody. Mm. That that is skill. Yes, indeed. And he does that in his in his work. Mm-hmm. You can't when reading his work, you can see in his writings the orientation or orientations which you may be an advocate of in their true light, without judgment. That's what I like about him, Mm. without judgment. He's Mm. telling it like it is. He gives remedies. Yes, yes. 
He gives viable, practical remedies, and basically what one has to do is just simply make a decision. Are you going to follow <laughs> what he says uh-huh. or not? And it's just that simple. Yes. It doesn't take a long story. It doesn't take a lot of, well, this one says this and this one says that. He's not even interested in any of that. Mm-hmm. He's laying it out saying, this is what the social condition and spiritual condition is of the world today. These are the these are um, the foundations of these social and spiritual conditions. Now, if you would like to lead a productive, happy, successful, wonderful life, and you follow these things in these writings, Mm-hmm. You will be able to lead a wonderful, happy, successful life. Yes, that's what that, that's all I can say about his book. Very profoundly said. <laughs> Very profoundly said. And what can I expect but from another teacher, from a, uh, a spiritual teacher? Uh, yes, indeed. I was blessed to uh, uh, meet him once in the Temple of Ishkhan here in Brooklyn, New York. I didn't realize who he was. Uh, and I more so, though, got a chance to associate with devotees of Swami uh, Krishnapad. And they just told me so much about him before I uh, even knew about him. And said, you just have to meet this brother. And a brother, right, a brother from uh, of, the, of the African uh, community, from the diaspora. Uh, and after I got his book, this is going back some... Uh, Oh my God! About maybe 25 years ago or so, and I didn't read the books right away. I read through them, but something just told me I needed to read and, and reread. And it just takes time. Some books you can read and you get the aha moment, and you're able to practice what is being shared. And then sometimes it just takes a journey uh, in your life to for events to happen, and you're able to correlate these events into the teachings that you've been exposed to, and then for everything to start to gel. And I must say, though, not until I met my wife, my wife, Queen Mother Spirit Change, that things began to gel with me on a spiritual level, where I'm able to really place, start to place things in a practical perspective on a spiritual level so that they're really becoming effective. And, um, and that's something that uh, says a lot in terms of how the Lord assists us in finding those who need to be in our lives. Um, and not to treat the blessings of someone who's in your life as your husband or wife, uh, as your sibling, as your parents, because uh, there's other shows that we're due in terms of us as souls, soul entities. We choose uh, the parents that we have. Uh, we, some of us choose the siblings that we have. You know, all of this is an arrangement. Of course, through the assistance of the Lord, through the assistance of the demigods, through the angels, through the guardians, to whatever names you give these particular spiritual entities, you know, we're here to learn lessons that are necessary to learn. So that's something that's very clear to me. I have no doubt about it. I don't pontificate. I don't preach it. You know, uh, it's something that I share. I know people have other different opinions of this particular phenomenon, spiritual phenomenon, and and everyone's entitled to this, but as my wife was saying, that uh, Swami Krishnapad, in very succinct and clear ways, in non-confrontational ways, he's able to share 
a knowledge that should be understood and contemplated by those of us from whatever persuasion we embrace. And, and that says a mouthful. That says quite a bit about the potency of the book title, Spiritual Warrior Two: Transforming Love, I'm sorry, Transforming Lust into Love. So we have about four minutes remaining. And uh, again, I want to thank all of you for tuning in and those of you who didn't tune in this evening but who will be tuning in uh, and listening through the archives. Seems as if, as of late, we get the majority of our uh, audience are those who tune into the archives as of late. I know that when we started some two years ago, we would always get many people tuning in uh, to the actual show. And it's all good, as the saying goes. I know that on Sunday evenings, many of us cannot tune in because we're preparing for the week uh, of work and, and we want to get our early rest and so forth. That's understood. And I will be doing shows on Saturdays as well. Uh, that's something that I'm, I'm letting spirit come through me to decide how we're going to make that arrangement. Uh, but I, I'm encouraged, though, that indeed Sunday evenings that we can share with you such uh, uh, potency in the form of literature written by a evolved spirit such as Krishnapad, Swami Krishnapad. Um, I will also be reading uh, from his in initial book, the book uh, Spiritual Warrior One, and he covers uh, various uh, spiritual truths and the psyche phenomena. He talks about the teachings of Mahat, the teachings of Islam, the teachings of Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism. He gets into talking about certain secret societies that most of us know of, living uh, here in the Western Hemisphere and in those societies that many of us do not know of, which I found uh, to be very interesting. So that's going to be discussed in future shows. As a matter of fact, next Sunday I may be touching upon, I may be inter interacting, or should I say, interweaving uh, between the two books, uh, The Spiritual Warrior 1 and 2, because uh, all this information is very exciting, and of course my intent is to keep uh, as much as possible. So, uh, I want to thank all of you for tuning in. Remember to tune in, uh, log into my website, uh, Drums of Change, so that we all can have a drum in the household and a designated drummer uh, to celebrate the birth of a soul who comes into the earth, on the earth, reincarnated, and all the important events that happen between them. Uh, marriages, birthdays, weddings, transition, there should be a drummer in the household or at the place of worship. And we ask the Most High that they, we are able to serve you in the healing of the world, and may we bring your love and goodness with us to give unto others wherever we go, O Lord Most High. And we ask that you continue to assist in making us the person that you would have us be, direct our footsteps and show us what you would have us do, to be able to make the world a safer, more beautiful place, and to bless all your creatures and help us, dear Lord, uh, and use us that we might know the joy of being used by you. Again, I thank you, and again, we are grateful. Namaste, shalom, assalamu alaikum. One love, peace, and blessings, all our relations. See you next week. 
Have a blessed week.